Hey, this is Brian Golden, lead pastor of Centerpoint Church, and I just want to welcome you to our podcast. I also really want to thank you for taking the time to listen. Most importantly, I really want to say if you're a longtime follower of Jesus, or maybe you're just investigating who Jesus is, I really hope this message encourages you to take your next step in your journey of faith or in your journey of investigating faith. Thanks again for listening. All right. So we're going to talk about abandonment or rejection. I'm going to use both words um, simultaneously, I guess, or interchangeably. Who knows? But anyways, um, and here's why abandonment or rejection really gets us at our core. Because God is a relational being. And if you've ever read Genesis 1 through 3, you will notice that God refers to himself in plural pronouns all through those sections of scripture. And I understand we probably have some friends here that um, you're not too sure you buy into Genesis, and that's okay, I get it. It's, it's a bit crazy, it's a bit much, it takes a little bit to get used to. But if you could just follow me, let's just say for the English side of things, for the plural pronoun side of things, as I set this up, that would be awesome. But God refers to himself in the plural Because if you've grown up in the church at all, you've heard of the Trinity, right? God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. So God, in and of himself, is a relational being. He's three parts in one. I have no idea how that works. I can't wrap my mind around it. Theologians can't wrap their minds around it. So it's something I just accept by faith. But God is a relational being. And in Genesis, after he created or they created the world, it's crazy because even though they had each other, they stop and they're like, you know what? Let us us create man in our image. They wanted someone to be able to interact with. They wanted relationship. And so they created man. And then I think what is absolutely fascinating is that even though man had this relationship with God, and you'll see as you read through Genesis, God would walk through the garden. And so they would have regular conversations, regular hangout times, which is crazy. Um, But God was like, listen, man needs someone else. That almost sounds blasphemous to me because, you know, if you grow up in the church world, all you need is Jesus. You know, you don't need relationships. All you need is the Lord. I don't know how biblical that is because God specifically created woman for man to have relationship with. And so God is a relational being, then created man and woman to be in relationship. And so that is why anytime relationships are threatened or anytime we have a loss of a relationship, it hurts like the Dickens, if I can talk like my mom for a little bit. It eats at us. It gets us in our core. And what that's called is that fear, that terrifying feeling. It's called the fear of abandonment. Because we were never created to live on our own. We were never created to live outside of relationships. And so as a result, that fear of abandonment is something that just gnaws away at us. And it's interesting because abandonment, honestly, is rejection. If someone leaves you... They're rejecting you. And ultimately, what they're saying to you is, you are not enough. You are not enough for me. And so, therefore, I'm going to leave you and find someone or something that will be enough for me. And so, all through our lives, in different seasons, different scenarios, we've been told at different times that we just aren't enough. And some of us are really good at masking that, like it doesn't bother us at all. And then some of us walk around like a mess. (laughs) Because we're like, we just can't take it anymore, you know? Um, And so we carry these feelings of rejection and abandonment with us throughout we go. And maybe some of you are sitting there and you're like, man, 
You know, I'm not really sure if I relate to that. Well, let me tell you a little bit about my story. Um, and if you were here with us several months ago, um, I gave my whole story in a message called Shattered. I'm not going to do the whole story today, but I'll tell you a little bit about Bryant's in my first year of marriage. Um, I had grown up in a home. My parents loved me. They really did. But they had a heart for people. And so I mentioned this back in Shattered. They brought someone into our home. And um, she just required a lot of work, um, a lot of love, a lot of attention. And so as a result, my parents' love and attention kind of went towards her. And um, I felt rejected. I felt abandoned. And throughout my life, I really struggled thinking, I'm not interesting enough. I'm not funny enough. I'm not skinny enough. I'm not smart enough. My personality sucks. It's too loud, too much, too big. Um, all of these things. And so I never fully felt accepted or loved Constantly felt rejected. Didn't realize I was feeling that way, though, until we got married. Isn't marriage such a wonderful time to learn about all your wonderful characteristics and qualities and baggage and everything else? Yes, it's great. Um, we had a great dating experience. We did all the right things, and then we got married, and the crap hit the fan faster than you can imagine. And uh, we got married in May. Bryant became lead pastor in July. And then I was in counseling in August. <laughs> That's how that went. Um, <laughs> bless his heart. And um, about a month into being married, um, Bryant started sharing things with me that he had forgotten to tell me while we were dating. Okay. Have you had that before? Um, <laughs> I'm sure you have. Uh, and I shared a few things with him that I had, oops, forgotten to tell him while we were married. And so all of a sudden now we're stuck. Um, and I don't know if for how long some of you have been married, but after you first got married, did you have that initial panic of like, oh my gosh, we're stuck. Like <laughs> that first fight and you're like, there is nowhere to go. <laughs> like we are in this till the end and I am terrified. So, um, you guys are a tough crowd. Okay, I'm going to have to work hard. Holy smokes, I'm already sweating too. Like out of breath and sweating due to all the hormones. And I have my water here. I'm going to end up being hoarse because just looking at water makes me have to pee. And I'm trying to be up here the full time. So anyways, all right. I'll work harder at 1045. That's fine. Anyways, um, and so that, those first few months, I was terrified that he was going to leave me because I thought, if there's stuff I didn't know about him already, what else do I not know about him? And at what point is he going to decide that I'm not enough? And so I went into fight or flight. We talked about this in Shattered, but there was a side of me that was like, okay, I'm going to fight for the marriage, and I'm going to become a control freak, and I'm going to control where he goes, what he does, what he says. I mean, it got to a point where he sat me down, and he's like, baby, I have to have a life. I'm like, not without me, son, okay? Like, no, sir. And then there were other times where I got so scared. I was like, well, he's going to end up leaving me anyway, so I'll just help him out. So I literally would pack his bags and put them down by the front door, and I'm like, now's your time, honey. Like, if you're ready, then you go ahead, and I'll be just fine. And so it was a very delightful first few months for us. <laughs> um, but I don't know if you've ever been there. Maybe it's been like this for you. Maybe you found out your spouse has a pornography problem. And those of you who battle with pornography, you just think that's your problem. That's just something you're doing. You know it's not right, but that's on you. And I have to tell you, this is not just your problem. You are communicating to your spouse every time you click on that image or open that book or watch that movie or whatever it is that you're doing, you're communicating to your spouse that that person is not enough. And this is not just a man problem, ladies. We know that, right? It's become an epidemic with women nowadays as well. And so pornography can communicate rejection, 
kids, you've experienced this. Your parents split, and your mom or your dad took off. They thought they were just trying to get out of the marriage. They thought it just wasn't working anymore. They thought they just needed to be happy. But what they were communicating to you was they didn't want you anymore. And when they left, they left you feeling rejected and abandoned and alone. And parents, I just have to say this. I said this last service too, and this wasn't in my notes. This is just something I feel. If you are in a safe situation, so I need you to hear that for a second. Some of you are in unsafe situations, but if you are in a safe situation and with counseling and community and some forgiveness and some Jesus and some grace, you can make your marriage work and get to a healthy place again, then yes, you stay together for the kids. That is a load of crap when people say you don't just stay together for the kids. We have kids who are growing up who feel rejected and abandoned because their parents called it quits when they could have worked harder on it and created a safe environment for their children. And so I just need to say that clearly right now. Some of you, your friends, you went through a difficult time. Your friends didn't sign up for that difficult time, and so they peaced out and left you alone. And so we've all experienced rejection in relationships. This bleeds over into our relationship with God. Some of you think that because you've been rejected by man, how in the world is God ever going to accept you? How do you know for a fact he's never going to leave you? And so as a result, you've just decided, who gives a crap? I'm going to live any way I want to. God's going to end up rejecting me anyways. Everybody else has. And so I'm going to live like the prodigal son. That's from Luke 15, if you've never heard that story. He goes out, squanders his dad's wealth, lives any way he wants to, starts eating pig slop because he's run out of money and been like, hmm, I was doing better with my father than I am out here. And he goes back. His father accepts him, brings him back in. But some of you are just living any way you want to because what does it matter in the end? God's going to reject you anyway, so why even try? Others of you are the moralist, and you're working really hard to manipulate or force God to accept you. You're trying not to give him a choice. So you're doing all the right things. You're crossing the, I, oh, crossing the T's, not the I's, crossing the T's, dotting the I's, making sure everything is perfect so God doesn't have a choice. He has to accept you because why wouldn't he? And so this bleeds over into our relationship with God. Here's the Here's the fact. Fear of abandonment comes from the fact that we know ourselves. And some of you are like, man, I, I'm not really, I've never felt rejected. I've never been abandoned. I don't know that I can really relate. But I want to tell you this. You can because you know yourself. And there's been different times where you've actually rejected yourself. This is common with men where you act like everything's okay, you don't feel anything, you don't think anything, everything's fine. And yet inside... You know those mistakes, you know those regrets, you know those feelings, you know those times you've let people down. And so there's a side of you that's rejected yourself because of certain decisions that you've made. Sometimes we experience rejection and abandonment not because of relationships, but because of circumstances or things that have happened to us or to loved ones. Um, when my brother took his life January 4th, that was one of the greatest feelings of abandonment and rejection I've ever experienced. And some of you may be thinking, gosh, that's selfish <laughs> to say that she felt that way. But if you've ever had, lost someone due to suicide, you know what I mean. Eric was someone that I had walked with for about two years during his addictions and rehab and other things. And I remember right before he went into rehab about a year and a half ago, he texted me and he said, my dad and I were the only two keeping him alive. And so you can imagine that when we got the phone call that he had hung himself, that a couple things went through my mind. Did he call me? 
Bryant looked through my phone. He didn't. He hadn't tried to call me or text me. And then it was, why didn't he? Why didn't he call me or text me? Because I probably could have done something. And obviously, logic says no. He had made up his mind. But there was that side of me that thought I could have kept him alive. And then there was the part of me that was like, why would he do this to us? Why? Why would he do this to us? And if I can be honest with you, people have asked me, like, doesn't heaven seem closer? And doesn't this seem closer? And I'm, gonna, I'm not going to lie to you. It doesn't because I, don't, I believe he is in heaven. Suicide is not the unpardonable sin. We'll talk about that in a couple of months. But I don't want him to be in heaven. I don't want him to be fine. Not when my world has come crumbling down and I'm trying to live each day with the worst pain I've ever had. I don't want him to be okay. He left me. He shouldn't be all right. And so I've had to really wrestle through that. Um, others of you maybe have not lost a loved one due to suicide, but you've lost a loved one due to disease like cancer or Alzheimer's or something like that. And it's almost as if that person has left you. Did you know there's studies done that if you were a young child, five and under, and you lost a parent due to death, their, your father or mother passed away, that you've interpreted that your whole life as rejection? Isn't that intriguing? that in your mind as a child, you couldn't wrap your mind around the fact that your parent didn't choose to leave, that they had passed away and that something was done to them outside of their control. It's so intriguing how the mind works. But um, Brian's mom was diagnosed with Alzheimer's right before Ryder was born. Ryder is about to turn five in July, so you can do the math. And I talked to him about sharing this story, but um, over the years, her Alzheimer's has rapidly um, gotten worse. And about a year ago, she and Dale were at my house, and I am incredibly close to mom and dad. Um, they've become like second parents to me. When Bright and I were walking through some of our darkest times, they never left our sides. And so um, they've become very, very important, special people to me. And so mom and dad were over, and um, it was time for them to go. And so we were trying to get mom into the car, and she was kind of resisting us, having a difficult time. And, um, and so we were like, Mom, come on. Like, you can do it. Just, like, follow us. Get in here. It's okay. No problem. And um, she stopped us, and she was like, listen, you guys don't understand. And she was upset. You don't understand. And um, Dale was like, what don't we understand? And she was like, I don't even know who you people are. And I remember that broke me because I thought of how scared she must have been in that moment because she didn't recognize us and how terrifying that must be for her. But I remember for a few days after that, I was so out of sorts. I was so restless, and I couldn't figure out why. And I'm going to guess Bright and I got in a fight. Neither of us can really remember. But um, usually if I'm restless, we end up in a fight. Amen. So we end up in a fight, and I'm like, what is causing this? And all of a sudden, I was like, I know what it is. Mom doesn't know me anymore. Like, I've lost mom. And... It broke me. And I remember I started sobbing. Bryant started sobbing. We were like weeping on the bottom of the stairs. You know how kids, mom and daddy, what's wrong? You know, we're like, we're fine. And so we had a little cry session. But disease, disease can take people from us. We can feel rejected and abandoned through disease. And then there's other circumstances. Deployment, we have a lot of military families in here. Your spouse has been deployed yet again. So now you're pregnant and having your first child while your spouse is overseas. You don't know if your spouse is coming home. You're watching other friends lose their spouses. You're having to carry all of the responsibility again. And you know your spouse isn't rejecting you. You know they're not abandoning you, but that's sure how it feels in that moment. Um, miscarriages. Those of you ladies who have had miscarriages, you are some of the bravest, strongest women I know. 
and the fact that some of you have had multiple miscarriages and yet you continue to try and then Jesus blesses you with children. Others of you realize that you're not going to be able to and then you have to walk through infertility. That is lonely. You feel like society has rejected you. You feel like God has rejected you. Affairs, divorce, job loss men, you're not going to act like you feel rejected. But deep down inside, that's where you start rejecting yourself. Why were you not good enough to keep your job? Why can you not provide for your family? What's wrong with you? All of these things can make us feel rejected or abandoned. And so what do we do? When we, when we did our message on Shattered, we talked about unmet needs, unresolved issues, and unhealed hurts. How rejection, abandonment can create those things in us, and then we have to decide what to do with them. Because I'm here to tell you, it's not if you're going to experience rejection. It's not if you're going to experience abandonment. It's when. And some of you have felt rejection and abandonment your entire life and not known what it actually was. Some of you are walking through it right now. Some of you have yet to experience it, and you're terrified because you know it's coming. You just don't know when. And so what do we do? How can we anchor ourselves so that when these things happen to us, we don't fall apart? I love Ephesians 3.17, and we'll start here. So if you have your scriptures or you have Bible on your phone or whatever it may be, Ephesians 3.17, it says this, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you being, what's that word? I know. First service, I got so excited because I got to do everything Bryant gets to do. I even have my own security person today. I was walking next door to go to the bathroom, and there's a man following me. I'm like, what is happening? And then I realized I got my own security detail, and I freaked out because I loved it. Um, I'm hoping they have, like, Ladybird or something for me, like a, you know, I don't know. But um, anyways, I won't tell you where my security person is right now because that defeats the pur purpose, but I have one this service too, and I feel so cool. Anyways, being rooted, back to the message, and established in love, you may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the full measure of the fullness of God. And so the answer to how do we not crumble or fall apart when we face rejection and abandonment, it's being rooted and established in God's love. And this sounds really ethereal, so I want to break it down for you a little bit because it's like, oh, that's nice, Nicole. Thank you. What in the world do we do with this? And so I started looking up some of these words. I was an English teacher for a few years. I don't know if you know that or not, but now you do. Um, the word rooted, I looked it up. Um, I think it's Webster's Dictionary. Honestly, it's whatever Google pulled up first. But rooted, it says, the part of a thing attaching to a greater or more fundamental whole, the basic cause, source, or origin of a thing, the essential substance or nature of something. And what I love about this de definition is that we're to be rooted to the love of God because he is our basic cause, source, or origin. And I have a few friends who are atheists and agnostic, and I want to speak to you just for a second out of complete love. And you know I love you because we've tracked with some of you for a while. Um, but most times you don't become an atheist or, ag or an agnostic on accident, do you? Most times there's something that happened. Either you were in a situation where someone who represented God to you or should have represented God to you screwed you over big time, had a moral affair, did something to you that was hurtful, whatever the case may be, or you've walked through a circumstances, circumstance where God should have shown up and he didn't, and you felt like he rejected you. And so how could there be a God if he left you high and dry? And listen, 
I think after walking through this situation with my brother and with my mother-in-law, I kind of understand where you're coming from. There's been moments where I've kind of been like, Whew, all right, Jesus, mama's a little bit tired. <laughs> so if you're going to keep hitting us with this stuff, I'm going to need a little something from you, or I just need you to stop, you know, whichever you prefer. But there have been times where it's been a struggle for me to believe. So I get it. I get it in some small way because I'm not you, and so I never want to say I fully understand. But here's the thing. You keep running from Jesus. You keep running from the God of the universe. You're never going to feel complete. You're never going to feel whole. You're never going to find the peace you're looking for. You're never going to feel like a whole person because he is the one who is your origin and your source. And so I'm pleading with you that maybe even today you can settle the feelings of rejection and abandonment you've thought, thought, felt that have pushed you to this place because you're never going to face wholeness or life without Jesus Christ. And so being rooted, the cause or the source. The next word is established. That was, it said rooted and established. Established means this, having been in existence for a long time and therefore recognized and generally accepted, having taken root, growing well. And so we have to be rooted. We have to understand that God is our source of life. He's our origin. And then we have to be established in this love. And what does that mean? This is what this means. This means preaching the gospel to yourself on a regular basis. And I want to stop here for a minute because some of you have not grown up in church, and so you're like, gospel, good news, what is this? I'm about to preach to you the gospel, okay? Those of you longtime Jesus followers, you need to stay with me because some of you need to hear this again. You need to understand what Jesus Christ has actually done for you. There's a few verses I want to go through. The first is Romans 5. Um, I'll just read it from my notes. Where are we, Brian? There it is. Okay. Everyone say hi to Brian. Brian's my dude back there. He's helping me out. I'm all over the place, too, so bear with him because bless his heart. You should see my notes and then the notes I gave him. Okay. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this while we were still sinners. So right now I want you to take a minute and I want you to think about this. Your absolute worst mistake you've ever made, your greatest regret, the most filthy you've ever felt, the worst place you've ever been, I want you just to imagine that right now. The time in your life where you absolutely hated yourself. What was that? Where was that? And here's what I want to tell you. In that moment, Jesus Christ died for you and would have died a thousand deaths because he loves you. And it doesn't matter what you've done, where you've gone, where you've been. Jesus Christ died on the cross for you when you were in the middle of your filth. That's how much he loves us. I love the message version of Romans 5.8. It's just a different translation. But it adds all these parenthetical statements. And one of them is this. It says, um, Christ died for us even when no one else would have. <laughs> even when we would have been left all alone. Christ decided to die on the cross for you because of this. He created us for relationship. Sin entered the world and it ruined that relationship. And so God set a plan in motion, if you look in Genesis 3, to send Christ to this earth to die on the cross because that's the payment for sin, to die on the cross for our sins so he can restore that relationship again. That's how much he loves you. That's what he was willing to give you in order to get you. The next verse, Ephesians 2, 4, but because of his great love for us, God who is rich in mercy, and we'll just keep going with this verse, God who is rich in mercy made us alive with Christ 
even when we were dead in our transgressions, even when there was not a single thing you could do to prove that he should love you, even when you were at your absolute, completely disgusting, worst part of yourselves, he died for you. He knows everything, you guys. So those things that you think, oh, not this, oh, I'm too much this, or I'm too far gone here, mm-mm. Why do you think God sent Jesus Christ? For poops and giggles? Sorry, we have toddlers, that's how we talk. But do you think that's what it was? I'm here to tell you no. Here's what else I'm here to tell you. Jesus Christ experienced rejection. Do you know when he experienced rejection? When he had the weight of all of our sin on him. So those disgusting moments you're thinking of right now, God placed those on Jesus Christ when he was on the cross. God couldn't even look at him, he had to turn his back. Jesus Christ experienced rejection for you. That is how much Jesus Christ loves you. That is his love for you. And the last verse, 1 John 4, if you ever need a good dose of how much God loves you, read through 1 John 4, but it says this, this is love, not that we loved God. And in church, we get this wrong all the time. We think this is love because I love God. That's what love is, baloney. You're a filthy, rotten sinner. That's not love. Here's what love is. He loved us. And he sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. And not only that, but when you accept Jesus Christ as your personal savior, here's what happens. Jesus Christ's perfection covers you. And so when God looks at you, he doesn't see those filthy, rotten moments. He doesn't see those embarrassing mistakes, those regrets. He doesn't see any of that. When he looks at you, he sees Jesus Christ's perfection. That's what he sees. And that's what Jesus Christ did for you to prove that he loved you. So if we forget the gospel in those moments where we feel abandoned or rejected, we're going to completely fall apart. We're going to start looking to other people and other things. We're going to start self-medicating. We're going to start putting on this air of perfection like we're okay and nothing bothers us. And we're never going to deal with our stuff. And so practically, how do we begin to do this? And this is where I love Ephesians 6, 11 through 17. It talks about the armor of God. And if you did VBS, I don't know, I'm sure you went through one of the VBSs where you made all the paper uh, armors of God, you know, and you brought them home and then they ripped in two seconds and you had a hernia. So ar the armor of God, I love it. We're going to get, I'm going to read through this, but the part we're going to focus on is the shield of faith. But let's read it together, starting in verse 11. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand. He's going to use the word stand about four or five different times. Because when we get hit by rejection or abandonment, most of us crumble, right? Most of us crumble, fall apart. We're open to attack. But when we anchor ourselves, when we are rooted and established in the love of Christ, and when we start using the armor of God that he's given us, we can stand our ground. And we can say to the devil, you throw whatever you want to at me, but Jesus is with me, he's empowered me, he loves me, and I got this with him. And so it says, you can stand against the devil's evil schemes. Here's something that really popped out to me as I started studying this for this message, is this. I used to think the devil was omnipresent and omniscient, like we all had a little devil with us, you know? <laughs> but he's not. There's only one person that's omniscient omnipresent, and that's God himself. But devil do, the devil does have an army, all right? There is evil in the world. He does have fallen angels that are with him. But they don't necessarily know each of us personally. What they do know is that humans as a group, we were designed for relationship, right? We were designed for relationship with God and each other. And so our number one weakness 
are it's relationships. And the devil knows that. And so his evil schemes are to go after those relationships in order to get you to crumble and to self-medicate so that you can't be used by Jesus as a beacon of hope for other people. What's the next verse? Let's go to verse 12. For our struggle, and this is what I just explained. I jumped ahead last service too. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Let's go to verse 13. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, not if, it's coming for you. You're welcome. You may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything to stand, verse 14, Oh, here it goes. What is it? Stand. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place. And we'll keep going. And with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. Verse 16. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming, oops, arrows of the evil one. I was like, I thought I had it. Got too confident. Walked away. Whoops. Take up the shield of faith. You can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Beth Moore explains this, and I love it. It's going to be up on the screen. Let this kind of sink into you. I'm going to read it. When we are convinced that God is believable and we respond to him in faith, practically nothing can get through to us. But when our faith diminishes, our shield begins to drop, and we are immediately vulnerable to the enemy. Satan will stop at nothing to get us to lower our shield of faith so he can wound and burn us. He stacks up tangible evidence in opposition to God's assurances. He delights and doubts and lies. He studies our weaknesses, and then he aims where we're vulnerable. His priority job description is to keep us from believing God. I just got a little pissed reading that this service. I'm sorry I said pissed. Angry. Pardon me. Ever since, I'm sorry, when you walk through a dark time, you kind of get a potty mouth because it's like a release. Has anyone walked through a dark time and been like, gosh, I just have to thank you. Sometimes you just have to read it out. But anyways, I'll be careful because I'm up here and I don't want to get fired. Love you, baby. Um, makes me angry. But here's the thing. The devil starts coming at us with triggers, okay? Triggers are those things that start kind of getting us off our game a little bit. All right, I don't know what those triggers would be for you. For me, um, it can be a number of things. Okay, so this is funny, and this is really, uh, I don't know, shallow of me. But I'm, I have this fear of being replaced, rejected, abandoned, replaced. And so um, as our staff began to grow, literally it was Dale, Brian, and I for I don't know how many years. And then about three years ago, we've added the 16, 17, 18 people we have on staff now. I don't know the full number. Um, but as we started adding staff members and their wives, I started thinking, oh my gosh, they're not going to need me for everything anymore. Everybody's not going to know me. Everybody's not going to want to talk to me. I'm not going to be needed. And I started really wrestling through that and giving things up and letting other people do what God's called and gifted them to do. It was a struggle for me. Um, this happened to Brooko's Alifaya Elementary love it there. Um, I am one of two homeroom moms because um, I couldn't fully, because homeroom mom in kindergarten is intense. And I could not uh, commit the 40 hours a week. <laughs> so I'm just joking. Um, the 20 hours, of, I'm just joking. So I could not commit for as much as I needed to. And so um, another lady and I split it. Her name's Jen and I love her to death. But initially inside of me, there was this little bit of like, who do the kids like more? Hmm? Who's here more? 
who are they relating to more? And there's this one time, I think we did the Thanksgiving party, and we were both in there, and I was like watching her like out of the corner of my eye, like, mm-hmm, did you decorate all this? You did not. You got here late, didn't you? That's what I thought. And I literally had to talk to Brian about it, because I was like, baby, she's going to replace me, and they're going to all love her. And I'm like, what is a Get a grip, you know? So now Jen and I are really close, and I love her to death, and it's been awesome, because I've been MIA the past few months, and she's been filling in. But these are my, they're so silly, but these are my triggers. And so you know what those triggers are. If you don't ask a spouse or a friend, they know what they are for you. Okay, but these are those things that Satan's gonna throw at you to get you to drop your shield of faith and start to doubt. Start to doubt that God loves you, that He's with you, and that He's for you. Because if you drop that shield of faith, Satan can get at you, and now you're His. Psalm 25:15 says this: My eyes are ever on the Lord. For only he will release my feet from the snare. When your eyes are not on Jesus Christ and his love for you, your shield of faith drops, those triggers come, and now you're caught up in God doesn't care. He's not with me. He's not for me. Why, why is it, what's, what's, what's even, what am I trying to say? Is it even worth it? There it is. Is it even worth it? And you're stuck. You're in a snare. The verses continue. It says, no one whose hope is in you will ever be put to shame. Good and upright is the Lord. Therefore, he instructs sinners in his ways. He guides the humble in what is right and teaches them his way. All the ways of the Lord are loving and faithful. I wrote this in my notes. It'll be on the screen. If we don't really believe that those verses are true, we will never, and I mean never, we will never preach the gospel to ourselves. We will never root and establish ourselves in his love, and we will never experience freedom from fear, the fear of rejection and the fear of abandonment. Andy Stanley says it this way, every good thing that comes your way comes from your heavenly father, which is all the more reason to take your unmet needs, your heartfelt needs, and even your embarrassing wants and wishes to him. Will you go to God with these or just keep trying to wring them out of those closest to you? We went to a um, conference about two weeks ago. It was at another church, and it was supposed to be a leadership conference. And I am not even going to lie to you. I battle with arrogance. I don't know if that's a surprise to any of you or not, but... I'm like, I, I seriously had several conversations with Brian, like, like, do we know who these people are? Like, are they successful enough to be able to teach us? Like, that's literally, it's embarrassing. God help me. But that's like how this feeling, and I'm hormonal too, so I'm already a little combative. So I'm like, seriously, do we need to go to this thing? And then he is like, it's in Bradenton. We're spending the night on the beach without the kids. And I'm like, I'm packing my bags. Off we go, you know? And so we get there and, um, Jesus had something for me. I'll tell you, those two days are probably the two most healing days I've had in several months. Um, And one of the preachers got up to speak, and um, he started talking about um, the section in Mark, and um, I didn't know where it was last service, so someone wrote it down for me, and I'm really glad they did, because I'm actually going to read it straight from scriptures. It's not going to be on the screen. I'm throwing them an audible. You can go ahead and send the band out, though, um, because they're waiting for a cue, and I'm totally skipping over it. So don't be distracted by the band coming out and me reading. Stay with me on this. If you've got it on your phone, pull out Mark 4, 35 through 41. I want you to read it with me, because this is intense. So he he read us this story, all right? I'm going to start. Mark 4, 35. That day when evening came, Jesus said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side. Let me set the stage for you. They're hopping in this little boat, okay? And Jesus is saying, we're going to go over to the other side. So he's made it very clear what's going to happen, right? They're going to get in the boat. Where are they going to go? 
to the other side, okay? So they are headed to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. I guess that's referring to Jesus, which I think is funny. We'll just take Jesus along. There were also other boats with him. A furious squall came up, and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, <laughs> sleeping on a cushion. <laughs> I love that Jesus loved naps, because I totally relate. Mama's got to have her naps. The disciples woke him up and said to him, and this is the part that um, wrecked me, because they're in this boat, the boat's getting the crap beat out of it. They're afraid they're going to die. Jesus is down there napping away. Not a care in the world. Disciples don't think he's paying any attention to them. They wake him up and they said to him, and I don't know if you see this. If you see it, say it with me. Teacher, don't you care? Teacher, don't you care? We're out here and we are dying we are getting the crap beat out of us. We can barely stay afloat. Don't you care? And I have to tell you, in my life right now, I am asking that question. Jesus, I don't doubt that you love me. I don't doubt that you're good. I have not. But I am doubting if you care. Because if you did, would you keep letting me get hit like I am? Would you keep sending these blows one after the other? I'm tired. Bryant's mom went into the hospital the week before Christmas. I don't know if you know what Christmas Eve is like around here, but there's eight services over two days. Then I have three kids that we have to get ready Santa for. And then we go right from that to my brother committing suicide on January 4th. And then Bryant's mom's back in the hospital now. We've been there all week making crazy decisions. I am tired. And I am just asking Jesus if he cares. And I don't know how many of you are in this place right now where it's been one thing after the other, and all you want to know is, God, do you care? Are you even aware of what's going on, or did you fall asleep? <laughs> Quite literally. Where are you? But I love what happens. <clears throat> he got up. He rebuked the wind and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. Then the wind died down, and it was completely calm. And he said to his disciples, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? In another translation, this is what he's asking them. Why do you doubt? Here's what I'll say to you today. If you're getting the crap beat out of you in your storm, and you're wondering if God still cares, one day he's going to calm your storm and you're going to get a break. One day he's going to say, enough. And then do you know what he's going to do? He's going to look at you and he's going to say, why did you doubt? Why did you doubt my love? Why did you doubt if I was with you? Why did you doubt if I was for you? Why did you doubt I was with you every second? And do you know why he allows storms sometimes? Because it says in verse 41, they were terrified and asked each other, who is this? Even the wind and waves obey him. There are people watching you right now who have never been through what you're experiencing. And they're terrified that if a storm hit them, they'd walk away from Jesus and leave him forever. But they're watching you. And if you stay true to Christ and you stay rooted and established in his love, what you're doing is when Jesus says enough and calms those storms, people will give glory to God for what he's done in your life. And they will have the confidence when storms comes their way to stay connected. That's what you're doing. And so I want to leave you with three things. We've got some people in this room 
who have never accepted the gospel of Jesus Christ. You've never gotten to the point where you said, you know what, I'm a sinner. I need Jesus Christ. I'm done running from him. I'm done fighting my belief in him. I am done. And I want to ask him to save me. And your prayer today is going to be, God, save me. We've got others of you in here. You've never experienced the love of Jesus Christ because you've never allowed yourself to break. You're white knuckling the rejection and the abandonment. You're white knuckling this hard time. You're acting like nothing affects you. And you know what? I'm pleading with you. You can't do that forever. Some point you're gonna break in two. And so why not now? You're gonna say, God, break me. I want to experience your love. And then there's others of you in here. It's time you got into counseling and you're fighting it because of the stigma you're fighting it because who's going to tell you what to do? You're fighting it for so many reasons. And you need to say today, God, humble me. And so here's what I'm going to ask you to do. If you're in one of those three groups, God, save me, God, break me, or God, humble me. With all of us watching right now, I want you to stand to your feet. We won't know what group you're in. You'll know that before Jesus. But if it's God, save me, God, break me, or God, humble me, I want you to stand to your feet right now if that's you. Everybody bow your heads, close your eyes. For those of you that are standing here saying, God save me, I want to give you that opportunity right now. This is all you have to say, and it's not the words that save you, it's what's in your heart, but you can say something like this to Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, I believe that you died on the cross for my sins. I believe that you rose again and you're the only way to heaven. I'm done running. I want you to save me. I'm the only one looking. So if that was you today and you said, I'm standing because I'm saying, God, save me. We had several first service say, God, save me. Would you just raise your hand so I can pray for you? God, save me. I love it. Maybe you're standing, you put your hands down because you're saying, God, break me. I need to experience your love. I've been hard white knuckling it. I've had this air of perfection. I've been acting like nothing bothers me. If you're saying today, God, break me, I'm looking, nobody else is, would you raise your hand? <clears throat> Thank you, Jesus. And then God, humble me. If you're saying enough is enough, I need to get into counseling, God, humble me. Jesus, we thank you for what you are doing. We thank you for those who this morning have gone from death to life. We thank you for those this morning that are saying, I want to experience your love in a way I never have before. I don't want to doubt. And we thank you for those who are being brave enough to get into counseling. And God, we pray that you would just remind us again today that you are with us, that you are for us, and that you love us. And that one day you will calm our storms. Give us the strength to stay with you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Stay standing because we're going to close in song. Hey, thanks again for listening. If you enjoyed this message, would you do us a favor and rate and review our podcast on your favorite podcast catcher? And so if you want more information about our church, our location, service times, just go to our website at centerpointfl.org.